Last week, we talked about trusting the Bible. Today, I want to give you, we're going to take a rapid ride through three big stories in the Bible, and then we're going to wrap up with one final one, because I want to talk to you about trusting and knowing the God of the Bible. Everybody is pretty well familiar with the creation story. Everybody's pretty well familiar with the, the big flood story, and a number of you have been down to Kentucky to visit the ark, and <clears throat> you've sent me pictures, and it's just amazing. I, Becky and I have not been able to go there yet, but it's just amazing how big it is, and all the th pictures that you've sent me. Becky and I had the privilege of being conducted and given a tour of the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. before it opened, and we were going through that museum, and I was just absolutely overwhelmed at all the artifacts from around the world and the story of the Bible that was in there. And that's why we started last week with the, how we could trust the Word of the Lord. Trust is a difficult thing to come by these days. As I've told you before, there's something about trust that brings out the best in people. That when you trust someone, <clears throat> you're willing to, you're bringing out what's best in them. But if you trust someone that breaks your trust, then it kind of causes you to close up and to shut down because to have trust violated is one of the worst things that could happen to any of us. There's a lot we can know about God. If we read the Bible faithfully and carefully, like we talked about last week, and there was a man who sent me a message, and he said, I was on a flight across the country, and I listened to the message online on the, on the uh, airplane, and I was just really floored by how much technology has allowed everything to change, and he was kind enough to, to write me about that. But if you read the Bible faithfully, you can learn a lot about God. You can learn about his character. You can learn about his attributes. You can learn about what pleases God, what saddens the heart of God. You can learn about his covenants. You can learn about God's amazing love and grace. You can learn about God's concern for justice. But there is a passage of Scripture that's one of my favorite passages. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to read one more. So I'm going to ask you if you'd stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord, and let's go to Psalms 145 and verse 3. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to read this out loud with me. Great is the Lord, he is most worthy of praise, and no one can measure his greatness. Let's read that again. Great is the Lord, he is most worthy of praise, and no one can measure his greatness. It's almost like David is just overwhelmed, and he just, he bursts out in praise. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. And then as he contemplates the glory of God, he just says, no one can measure his greatness. His, his greatness is unsearchable. And then if you would look with me at this next passage of Scripture, there's a man by the name of Elijah. And Elijah prays a prayer that I want you to pay attention to this morning. He says, answer me, Lord, answer me. Now, he's talking to this great God, most worthy of praise. He's talking to this great God that David has already said is his greatness is unsearchable. And Elijah prays, answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you are Lord, that you are God and that you are bringing them back to yourself. 
And the Lord sent fire down, and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones, and scorched the earth and dried up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, people like you and me, when the people saw this, they threw themselves on the ground and exclaimed, the Lord is God, the Lord alone is God. Holy Spirit of God, right now in the name of Jesus, answer me, O Lord. Speak to our hearts this morning. Use me, Lord. Bridge the gap between what I lack and what this congregation needs, what we need together, Father. Fill our hearts with your word and with the vision of just how great you are so that like David, Lord, we are consumed with the fact that your greatness is immeasurable, it is unsearchable, and that we are taken with the fact that great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. You can be seated this morning. You know, as noble as God is, is what you can know from the Bible, God still surprises me. God still works in ways at times that amaze me, and, and I kind of scratch my head sometimes and think, I never thought God would answer prayer like that. That's never how I thought God would do it. Do any of you ever have those occasions as well where God just really surprises you? His ways are unsearchable. This story that I just read to you, this prayer, you probably really need the background if you don't know it. Elijah has, has become really stirred in his heart. He can't take it any longer. Something has happened in his nation. Something has happened with his people. <clears throat> they once knew the power of God. They once knew the glory of God. They once used to assemble in God's presence and worship him and serve him faithfully, but something had happened. The nation had lost its vision of God. It had lost its faith in God. And two names that are associated with evil that you just don't meet children that are named as these names today come into play. Their names are Ahab and Jezebel. I checked the record of all the children that have gone to our church over the last 25 years. We don't have one boy named Ahab, and we don't have one little girl named Jezebel. That's just how associated their names are with evil and wickedness. Ahab sinned in so many ways that he didn't even believe that God would touch him. He didn't even fear God. Ahab did things that are unmentionable and unspeakable for me to talk about from this pulpit. That will help you to get a grasp on things. Jezebel, she hated the worshipers of God so much that she put a bounty on their head. She wanted them hunted down. She wanted them killed. She wanted them exterminated from the land. These are the kind of people that were ruling Israel at the time, and Elijah had finally had enough, and there had been a new religion. Actually, it was an old religion that had resurged in Israel, and people were just following this religion, and it was the worship of Baal. So Ahab just kind of issued a smackdown, so to speak, on top of the mountain, and he begins to pray. He begins to issue this invitation out to all the prophets of Baal, and 850 prophets of Baal assembled on a mountaintop. I've been there. There's a great statue on Mount Carmel of Elijah praying and the fire coming down from heaven, and the plains of Megiddo are out there in front of you, and 
And so 850 prophets of Baal gather on this mountain, and, and, they, and Elijah tells them, he says, here's the challenge. You pray to your God, and I will pray to my God. And the God who answers by fire is the God that we should serve. And all of Israel had gathered for this smackdown. Imagine that there was a world boxing championship coming to Detroit, and how the, that the arenas would be packed out here. I almost said the Jokobo but that's not what it's called anymore, but we'd be packed out. But everybody gathered for this smackdown, and these 850 prophets, they made their sacrifice, and they began to pray that Baal would come and just consume the sacrifice by fire. And after about a half a day, that didn't work. They began to lash themselves with, with whips and cut themselves with knives and cut themselves with swords and trying to get their God to answer. They're bleeding. They got 850 bleeding prophets. And listen, any religion that requires you to cut yourself, I would not recommend that religion, okay? So here they are. They're, they're calling out, and, and Elijah begins to mock them. He actually begins to say, you need to cry a little louder. Maybe you need to cut a little more. Maybe your God's on the toilet, and that's why he can't hear you right now. He's really mocking them. And so finally they give up, and, and Elijah says, now it's my turn. He makes his sacrifice. He has a trench dug around the stones on which the sacrifice was made. He calls for barrels and barrels of water to be poured over the sacrifice and to fill the trench up. And he prays one simple prayer. And God answers with fire from heaven, licks up the sacrifice, licks up the stones, licks up the water out of the trenches, and all the people fall down on the ground, and they recognize this false religion for what it really is. You can't argue with the facts that God is answered by fire, and they begin to say, the Lord is God. They're on their faces because they're repenting. But the key to that prayer was this, answer me, Lord, so that, say that phrase with me, so that, that conjunctive phrase, that adverb so, and that uh, adverb that, so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God. You see, that's the key because Elijah was jealous for the name of the Lord. He was insanely jealous for the name of the Lord. Here's the lesson I learned from that story. God trusts his power to people who pray from a pure heart. God trusts his power to people who pray for a pure heart, who want the name of the Lord glorified. Some of you, maybe you give just because it's a something that you do but you've never thought about. You're trusting the Lord and you're giving with a pure heart to honor God so that others can be served. Some of you, maybe you sang this morning, you came to church because you thought of it, it was duty, and when you leave here, maybe you never think about it again, but those of us who've come with pure hearts, we have come because we love him. We have gathered in his name because we love him. We want his name glorified so that lost people will know that Jesus is Lord and he has a new life for them. Can you give him a hand of praise for that? That's why God came. 
People who are jealous to see the name of the Lord made great like Elijah, they want to see people freed from false gods, from false theologies. They want to see people freed from the no God at all sense of being, the atheist. They want to see people finding out that God really does have a purpose and a plan for their life. So my question this morning and briefly telling you the story of Elijah is what's undergirding your prayers? What is it that you're praying for and why are you praying about that? Do you pray for Christ's sake? Do you pray for the glory of God? Do you pray for the kingdom of God? Do you pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Are you mostly praying for what you want done? In John chapter 3 and verse 16, when Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus why God sent his son into this world, he says, Nick, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, say it with me, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This week I had lunch with a friend of mine who is from a tribe of people that he asked me to meet him at a restaurant who are from another tribe of people that they are enemies. And I was a little bit stunned and a little bit shocked by this. And so when I arrived at the restaurant and I got, my, I got there early and I, I sat down and was just looking around me, I was greeted courteously, I was welcomed, I was the only white person in the place. And and when I got, sat down in a few minutes, my friend came in, and there was the second white person in the place, and I saw the owner of the restaurant come out and hug him and greet him and bring him over to the table, and we sat down together, and the owner of the restaurant says, you have honored us by coming here today. I'm so thankful you're here. You knew my friend, and we had a wonderful lunch and a wonderful meal sharing together. And it just not only warmed my heart, but it more than ever made me want to see the name of Jesus glorified. And so my friend asked me to pray, and he knows if I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. So when I prayed in the name of Jesus, there was a hush that happened all of a sudden all around the place. And I was intently aware for the rest of our launch that people were listening to the dialogue between us and my prayer the entire time was, God, so that this people will know, let the name of Jesus be made great. But I'm gonna be honest with you. If I'm not careful, a lot of times my prayers can denigrate to what I want not so that God's name can be glorified. Anyone else in here like that? Do you ever find your prayers when you stop and you're, especially if you write your prayers like I do, do you find yourself, you're praying more about what you want rather than what God wants? You know, there used to be a song called Change My Heart, O God, Make It Ever True. Change My Heart, O God, Make it more like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Change my heart. Did any of you ever sing that song? It's a great song. One time I was just riding down the highway on Interstate 75 in Georgia, and I was singing that song, and all of a sudden I found myself going, Lord, change my church, oh Lord, make it ever true. And I started laughing when I was singing that song, and then I, then I thought, Change my wife, oh God, may she love me more. 
And then I really started, I started thinking of all the things I wanted to change. Have you ever prayed, change my boss, oh Lord? Have you ever prayed, change my wife, may she love me more? And you see, if we're not careful, we will denigrate our prayers to what we want rather than what God wants. You see, what God wants is the poor serve. What God wants is for people to know the name of Jesus. What God wants is what Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. You say, well, pastor, don't you really feel bad at yourself because your prayers denigrate like that? Yeah, sometimes I do, but do you ever go into a spiritual slump? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, the tigers are kind of in a slump right now. Change the tigers, oh Lord. Resurrect the tigers, oh Lord. You know, the fact of the matter is, we all go through those slumps. And right after this great battle, Elijah went through a slump. Jezebel was so mad at what happened, she put out a bounty. She wanted him dead. She wanted him killed. And Elijah, you would think after seeing this mighty miracle, 850 prophets of Baal defeated, Elijah would have just gone and put his hands on his hips and said, do your best, Jess. Instead, Elijah runs for his life, and God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't get on to him. God instead fixes him two happy meals. He sends an angel. The angel makes some bread and cooks a meal for him. Elijah takes a nap, and he wakes up, and the angel's cooked another meal for him, and he, he's rested up and then says, I want you to meet me on the mountain. So he goes to another mountain, and there's an earthquake, and there's a fire, and you would think that that's where God would manifest himself, but instead, in a still, small voice, God, who hurled the galaxies into place, he spoke to Elijah, and he led him back to a place of strength. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. You may be in a spiritual slump. You may find yourself in a place that you just don't feel like you used to feel. You may be discouraged by the culture around us. The Bible says don't let the culture drag you down. Instead this morning, God is not here to smack you down. God is here to lift you up and to strengthen you and to fill you anew with his Holy Spirit. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? You say, Pastor, that's not the God I heard about growing up. God is a good God. God in kindness leads us to repentance. Look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Did you think that because he's such a nice God, he let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand, and he leads us into a radical life change. God is kind, but he's not soft. He is intent on pulling you through. And if you can stand the pulling, God will do what? He will pull you through. Now, I want to tell you another story. And before I tell you that story, I want you to fill out this sentence for me. I will spread out my needs before the Lord. I will spread out my needs before the Lord. And what I mean by that is every morning I want to get up and I want to commit my day to the Lord. I want to commit my marriage to the Lord, my family, our church, the community that I live in. I make a fresh commitment every single day to honor the Lord in everything that I do. And there was a young man that became a king and his name was Hezekiah. 
He became a king at a young age. He was inexperienced. He didn't have a lot of leadership abilities at the time, but he was God's chosen to be the king. And not long after he became the king, there came this king, another king that came up against him with a huge army that Hezekiah could in no way defeat. And he came and he positioned himself at a strategic place. He positioned himself at the wells at the end of the aqueduct and he began to taunt Hezekiah. He challenged his leadership. He challenged his wisdom. He challenged his knowledge. He said it all in Hebrew so the people could hear what was being said around the city walls. I mean, he's really being challenged. And he even writes a letter, and he tells in the letter, he says, I'm going to kill everybody. Look at this verse with me in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 17. Then the king of Assyria sent his commander-in-chief, his field commander, and his chief of staff from Lachish with a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. And the Assyrians took up a position by the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. What's he saying by gathering there? He's saying, I can cut off your water supply. There's no water that comes into this city. That was one of the unusual things about Jerusalem compared to other cities. It did not have a natural water source inside. And so right there where the water came into the city at from the spring, the king took up his position and says, I'm going to kill you all. People were trembling. And this is what Hezekiah did. Look with me at this next verse in 2 Kings 19 and 14. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and he spread it out before the Lord. Say it with me this morning. He spread it out before the Lord. Say it again. He spread it out before the Lord. Look at your neighbor and ask him, what are you spreading out before the Lord today? What is it that you've spread out before God? What about your children, your grandchildren? What about your ministry? What about your spiritual gifts? What about your anointing? What about your role in this community? Not just the community of faith at Woodland, but in Downriver. What are you worked up about? When Hezekiah went in and spread this letter out before, he was amped up. He was worked up. His life was being threatened. His leadership was being threatened. This king had the power, humanly speaking, the ability to do what he said he was going to do. Now, here's my questions for us this morning. What do you care about so deeply that you're spreading it out before the Lord? What is it that you were so jealous about that you're spreading out before God because you know it's the plan and the will of God? I am so jealous for so many things that there's so many things in our culture that break my heart, that have me on my face in front of this altar in this sanctuary, have me on my face on the carpet in my study at home, have me sometimes pulling off the side of the road because I can no longer control the tears, because people are putting feelings above facts, people are somehow or another letting the culture drag them down. What is it that you are so jealous about that rather ranting and raving or reading your favorite news website, you are going in before God, and you're laying out the pictures, you're laying out the news articles, you're laying your kids before the Lord, and you're saying, oh God, what are you going to do so that my children, my community, my subdivision, our high school is going to know Jesus? 
And so Hezekiah goes in, and notice what's in common with Elijah's prayer. And this is in 2 Kings 19, 19. Now, Lord, our God, rescue us from the Assyrians so that all the nations of the world will know that only you, O Lord, are God. Can you imagine what would happen in the situation room with President Biden and all the worst committee got together and somebody said, let's just spread this out before the Lord so that they would probably laughed and mocked. But I can tell you, if every one of the people in that room, including the president himself, would humble themselves before God like Elijah and pray so that, God, your name will be glorified. And pray like Hezekiah so that the world will know that you, Lord, are God. In their morning prayers and their afternoon prayers and their evening prayers, things would change in the situation room because God honors a people who honors him. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? He says, I will honor those that honor me. If you're not familiar with the story, you say, well, what happened when Hezekiah prayed? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at the next verse. That night, that's pretty, good, that's pretty quick timing, right? That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp, returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh, and I love these last three words, and stayed there. I don't blame him. I'd have stayed there too, wouldn't you? You wake up to 185,000 of your best soldiers slain by the angel of the Lord. But why? So that the nations will know that you are God. One more quick story, and then I'm going to share one final point, and we're going to close. God empowers me to serve my generation. Let's go from the Old Testament about this God that we serve. And we're even going to skip over the Gospels now, and we're going to come right to the book of Acts. This morning in communion, we talked about how Jesus made intercession for us. He did the work of intercession for us. And now we come to the story where Jesus has risen. Jesus has been seen by 500 or more people. There's 120 people that in obedience to the Lord, they're meeting in a second floor room. I've been in that room where they say, supposedly in this area, this is where that happened. It's just a small room. I went and sat down on the floor by the wall of that room, and I just prayed and journaled and wrote in that room, God, do it again in my generation. Look at what happened in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers, this is right after the ascension of Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled in each of them, and everyone was present and filled with the Holy Spirit. He began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Friends, is this how you would usher in the ministry of the Holy Spirit? I mean, God has already surprised us in how he sent his son into the world to be born in a stable. 
I mean, everybody, just about everybody, if you've watched the news, you know who Prince William is. He's the heir apparent to King Charles, and you probably even know who his little boy is. What's his little boy's name? Who? I knew you knew that. George, because the world is fascinated by all the pomp and the circumstance and the gilded carriages and the private planes and the castles. But when God sends his son, he's born in a cattle trough. He's born in a manger. Is this how you would have brought in the Holy Spirit? In an upper room with just 120 people? And all of a sudden, that room is filled with this mighty wind, and a ball of fire appears, and it splits apart, and maybe a little three or four-inch tongue of fire, flame of fire begins to rest upon each person there, and they begin to speak in languages they had never learned. You go, what is happening? Well, the wind made them think of the power of God. The tongues of fire made them think of the holiness of God. But something so remarkable happened when these people began to speak in other languages. They spread out into the community right out of that upper room. And it just so happened on that day that there were Jews gathered from all parts of the nation or all parts of the world. And they heard those people speaking in their languages about the mighty acts of God and the power of God. Acts chapter 2 and verse 11. We hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Now, this gift is different than the gift of the Holy Spirit in tongues that the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians. I've seen this very rarely. I've seen it happen where I've seen it on two occasions. Once we were in Belgium with a group of students, and all of a sudden this man began to pray, and I thought, that's so kind. He's praying in English so that we'll understand, and he prayed a blessing upon us. It was just absolutely incredible. And the pastor began to weep and dab his eyes. And he looked at me and he says, that man doesn't know a word of English. And yet here he was praying in perfect English. Another time in Argentina, I, I, I witnessed a little girl begin praying for someone and a crowd gathered around us. And she was speaking perfect Castilian Spanish as she prayed, telling about the great things that God had done and coming to save people from their sins. And many gave their hearts to Jesus that day. Why the fire? Why the wind? Why the miraculous gift of speaking in languages they had not learned? Because this wasn't Elijah, a prophet of God. This wasn't Hezekiah, a king chosen by God. This was people like you and me that were in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us are called to ministry. Every one of us have the power of God. And every one of us, unlike the people of the Old Testament, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Can we give him a hand of praise for that today. That's good news. Peter is preaching then in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. They're asking what all this means. And Peter, who's never preached a message before in his life that we know of, Peter, who wasn't particularly articulate and reasoning, all of a sudden, Peter, that wind and that fire and that anointing is upon him and he says all of you must turn to God and change the way you think and act that's another way of saying repent you must change the way you think and act and each of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ read it with me so that 
your sins will be forgiven, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. And this promise belongs to you and to your children or to my four children and to everyone who is far away, my four grandchildren, your grandchildren. It belongs to everyone who worships the Lord our God. I am jealous for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you? I want him in my life. And then finally this morning, this is my prayer for us as a church, as we think about our great and faithful God who reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you read this prayer with me this morning? Jesus, open my eyes to truly see that you are coming again. Would you pray that with me again? Jesus, open my eyes to truly see that you are coming again. Take the hand of the person beside you and hold it this morning if you know them. And would you pray that prayer? Jesus, open our eyes to truly see that you are coming again. Nothing's going to compare with the return of Christ. Creation, that's not going to compare to the return of Christ. The flood, it's not going to compare to the return of Christ. All the miraculous stories you can think about the Bible, nothing is going to compare to that day when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first and then we which are alive and remain are caught up with him in the air to meet him forevermore. There's a common media thread that's said so much that I doubt we ever listen to it anymore. The media and some influencers seem to think that the world is going to end in an environmental holocaust. Temperatures, we're under another atmosphere advisory here in Detroit today. And it seems like every story that can fan that is fed to us day in and day out. None of us know when it's going to end. But those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, we know how the story is going to end. And that's with the return of Jesus. And that every human being, whether they believe in God or don't believe in God, we're going to each one stand before the Lord. Those that have served Him and followed Him, He will commend them and he will welcome them into his Father's kingdom. Those that have named his name and yet have not served him, he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. This is what the scripture says. Those that have denied him and suppressed knowledge about him, they'll hear the same message, depart into the fires of eternity prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never prepared for people like you and me. Why did Jesus do the work of intercession? Because Jesus wanted to see the prayer of Elijah answered so that 
these people will know that you are Lord. Why did Jesus rise again from the dead, accomplishing the impossible, breaking and defeating the powers of hell, taking the keys of life and death from the devil himself, sending Satan scurrying back to a place he can never return from, in total defeat? Because like Hezekiah, so that these people will know that you are Lord. And why does God send the precious gift of his Holy Spirit to those of us that have received Christ as Savior so that we will have access to all that God has for us to do his will in our day, in our time, so that his name will be glorified. Look at John 14 and verse 3. Jesus says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Read it with me. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me wherever I am. So that. Do you get it? He loves you so much, he's saying, so that you will always be with me. Encourage one another with these words. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And look at how Jesus fulfilled every one of those prayers so that you and I would be with him forever. Would you bow your heads with me? Hallelujah. Jesus, sometimes in this culture that we're living in, where we think we need all kinds of gimmicks and toys, We need all kinds of technology. God, I'm not against any of that, and I love it. But what we need, Lord, are people of prayer. People, Lord, that when we get into a spiritual slump, you bring us a happy meal, Lord. You let us rest, and then you feed us again, and then you call us back to the mountain to hear the still, small voice of the Lord, God Almighty, whispering to us. And then when we face a challenge like Hezekiah, because we've been daily spreading out before you that that consumes us, Lord, for your glory, we're ready. And Lord, the devil flees and stays away like Sennacherib did because the Lord is in the camp. So I'm asking you now, fill us afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. An unlimited work of grace in our lives today. And make us ready. Jesus, I don't know when it will be, but I know it will be sooner than I think. 
And when that trumpet sounds, I long to be with you forevermore. And if you've never given your heart to Jesus and you're here in this service or you're watching online right now, will you pray this prayer with me? Something's stirring inside of you. you. Maybe you were just watching out of curiosity or maybe you came this morning just because you were asked to come. But would you pray this prayer with me right now? Just pray it from the very bottom of your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm so glad that you sent Jesus so that someone like me could receive forgiveness of my sins and that your Holy Spirit would come and live within me. I don't understand it all yet, but today, Lord, I receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior the ruler and the master of my life and help me to live now so that your name will always be glorified in me for it's in jesus name i pray amen amen and amen hallelujah 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 would you stand with me this morning may the spirit of the lord who breaks yokes and removes bondages. May he put a fire in your soul. May he put a wind in your sails. And may you speak the language that all can understand, the language of God's love and grace and peace. Go in the name of Jesus so that others will know what you know today. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning. Go in peace.